The following podcast contains explicit language. So yeah, there's a couple dirty words. You are now listening to Creative Masters. This is the podcast where we interview musicians, photographers, directors, comedians, designers, and other creatives to discuss how they got started, how they got past those bumps in the road, and how they built a career off their creativity. So let's get right into it. I'm your host, and I'm Team Double Machine Masters to bring you Creative Masters. Now let's start the show. What's going on, everybody? This is Reggie, a.k.a. Nobody Famous. You're listening to the Creative Masters Podcast. This is episode six with my dude, Wax. He's a very, very dope musician, stand-up comedian, YouTuber, singer, all of that. So he's really dope. He's a funny, witty dude. And you're really going to enjoy this episode. And, and Wax and I, we got a lot of dope history together because we actually made a song together called Rosanna that ended up blowing up overseas and going platinum in a bunch of countries. So we're going to talk about all that, how that came about in the podcast we're going to kind of do something a little special in this podcast as well. What I'm going to do is kind of cut in some of these songs, just little snippets so you guys can kind of hear and have context in some of the songs and videos that we're talking about throughout the episode. So it's a little bit longer than normal, but it's very dope, and I know you guys will enjoy it. So in this episode, we talk about how we got started making YouTube videos back in 2007. Uh, an interesting thing about rapping on YouTube in 2007 was it was some nerdy, dorky, like, <laughs> like how, like, what are you doing? You're a YouTube rapper. You're a geek. Like, uh-huh. like that's how it was looked at. He also talks about his big meeting with L.A. Reid and how he landed a deal with Def Jam. Some people get end up getting like the crazy meeting that gets them the deal. You know, I, I ended up having that in 2010 with L.A. Reid. Then we talk about the difference between viral videos and hit songs. That's the difference between just the viral video and a hit song because like this song is on the radio people are dancing to it in the club it's not you know on the radio in the club you can't see the video we also get into the difference between his fan base in the united states and his fan base overseas you know the people who recognize me in america are like 22 year old dudes with their hat sideways you know what i mean and People who recognize me over there were 13-year-old girls at the airport. We get into all these things and so much more in this episode. It's a very dope story. He starts at the beginning. We work all the way to present day to what he's working on now on YouTube and other ventures. So sit back, relax, and enjoy episode six of the Creative Masters podcast featuring Wax. everybody this is reggie aka nobody famous you're listening to the creative masters podcast we got a very dope guest today um this guy i've done some work with him musically um we even kind of made a little bit of history together and things like that so we got my man michael jones aka del firebird aka (laughs) wax what's going on my man what's going on reggie thanks for having me man Man, thanks for coming on. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to have you on the podcast because I know you got a really interesting story and, and we've done some cool stuff together. So there's actually even been stuff like I haven't even asked you or had a chance to really talk to you about, um, you know, as far as music goes and stuff like that. So we're going to kind of get into that. But, I mean, kind of tell the people first just a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from, what you do. I mean, I was kind of running the numbers today, just looking up and between just, you know, Spotify streams and YouTube, you got over like 100 million you know, streams and views and things like that. But give give the listeners a little context of what you what you do and what you've done. Yeah, sure. I give a little little bit quick as I can, but not too quick background. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm from I'm from originally from Dunkirk, Maryland. I was born in Washington D.C. 
and I basically was raised in a suburb of Washington, D.C., and I, I have a twin brother, and since an early age, we were real, real into music, and uh, we started making music together when we were kids, uh, playing drums and guitar and rapping and singing, and, you know, at that time, we had, like, a four-track recorder, and we just got real into making music, and um, by the time we were starting high school, we had a band, and throughout high school and college, we were we were in a band, and this was still on the East Coast, and, uh, you know, we got really, we, we did albums, and our band was touring across the East Coast, and through most of the country, through, through the Midwest, and down South, and up in the Northeast, and uh, then eventually, at one point, you know, people in the band decided that, you know, I guess it's just, we weren't making any money, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody went their separate ways, and I was kind of like the guy that still had the the bug to to do music but uh at that time you know the band was called mcgregor by the way if anybody's listening you can get we still have out al- we have albums on itunes and spotify and whatnot mm-hmm. uh, at that time i tried to i tried to kind of give up on music and, and i attempted to work in the regular mar- you know job market i had some office jobs you know i had a i had a degree i still i mean i guess i still have a degree from university of maryland and uh, I did, you know, I did all kinds of stuff. I did everything from um, from selling mortgages uh, to to work, to being like an administrative assistant. I did landscaping. I worked at restaurants. I did hotel software tech support. I did all kinds of pizza delivery type of jobs. Mm-hmm. And then uh, eventually, eventually, me and my girlfriend at the time, we had an opportunity to move to San Diego. She had an opportunity to get a job to San Diego, and I wasn't doing shit in maryland so i i went with her and plus my brother had moved the reason that she got the opportunity is because my brother's now wife was hooking her up with a job so anyway i moved to san diego and i was working construction there me and my brother were actually starting to work on music and at this time uh youtube had just started so we started to put videos up on youtube just having fun with it and uh then my girl at that time she we ended up breaking up she moved back to the east coast and I was just kind of there by myself, just just uh, sort of making music and doing construction and just kind of at a, at a dead-end place in life for the kind of. And I decided to move to L.A. I decided, you know what, I'm not getting any younger. I'm going to move to L.A. I'm a, I actually went to recording school. I learned how to use Pro Tools, and I learned all about compression and EQ and just trying to become better at recording my music, you know. And uh, so I moved out. This is about around the time when I met you probably. Uh, I, I, I moved to LA and this, at this time I started really going hard with putting stuff on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and let me, uh, let me stop you there. Cause let's, let's go back to the, uh, kind of like the days before LA. Cause I want to touch on some things like the days before LA. Sure. Um, so early on you said you got, you and your brother got into music. Like what kind of influenced you to like say, Hey, I want to make music, like pick up a guitar, play some drums or whatever. Like what was kind of like some experiences that you had was it because you're around my age so you're like the mid-90s was amazing yeah. with music i mean you had everything from green day to snoop dogg just popping right so what was kind of like your your uh influences that kind of got you into started making music i got it i gotta give a big part of it to mtv man yeah. i got you know my my dad was a big tv watcher so this like no this was what this was when people first started getting cable and we were like the first people in our neighborhood to get cable mm-hmm. and me and my brother and my sister too like we we became just kind of infatuated with mtv everything everything from 
Easy E to Guns N' Roses to Nirvana to Janet yep. Jackson, like every like I was into all of it. You know what I mean? I didn't care what it what, like. I, I just you know me and my brother just really got into just like we were into dancing. We used to like copy all the dance moves from all the New Jack Swing videos. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Like yeah, we used to do all the so we used to do like all the kid and play stuff and the stuff from the Humpty Dance video. You know I don't care if I'm showing my age. <laughs> we're just real into rhythms and like. You know, and and a lot of it, I think, a lot of the stuff that made me wanted to do it myself is, I think, like the attitude people had, like the kind of like, like fuck what people think attitude. That's why I would like people. I always think that really influenced me early was like Axl Rose and Easy E. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, just you could cuss and say do whatever you want. You know what I mean? And uh, and that's you know I used to I used to have to hide my rap just the raps I wrote from my mom, you know, I couldn't, or, or even the tapes I would listen to, you know, and I think that was mm-hmm. kind of like, as a kid, I think there was something about like mischievousness that I was into, you know what I mean? And, yeah, definitely. It was kind of like a, it was, especially like hip hop in those days. Cause it's kind of, I kind of look at hip hop almost like a cousin of like punk rock. So it was kind of like a, um, a, a rebellion, you know what I mean? So at that time, especially like with all the stuff like politicians like stomping on Bone Thugs and Harmony tapes and, and shit like that. Right, right, right. You know what I mean? It's just like, it was just like, oh yeah, like I want to listen to this because I'm not supposed to type thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just kind of like the same thing as like, you know, you 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 know, you can't cuss around your parents, but like when they're not there, you kind of feel feel mm-hmm. good when you cuss. I don't know. I, it's that maybe it's maybe there's a little bit of evil in all of us or some of us, but but uh, you know. That was that was part of it, but I think you know. Beyond that, it's just some people have something in them that's, you know, a lot of us are music fans, but some people and some people see the music and they'd say like, I want. Some people say I like that person, and some people say like I want to be that person. And mm-hmm. I think me and my brother kind of wanted we wanted to be on the television. You know what I mean? Definitely. And now, so that I would I would say the MTV was the was the biggest, the biggest influence of me just starting in general. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And when you were young and you guys were getting into music, like what was kind of what was like the first instrument that you picked up and learned, or were you like rapping first, or just was it more of the dancing, or what was it at that time? I would no, nah, I was I was it actually was all all around the same time, but I first started playing guitar in sixth grade, mm-hmm. and I know we were dancing at around at around sixth grade, and uh, I think I think my first rap song I wrote was in sixth grade. I wrote and when I was in sixth grade, I wrote a rap song. It was making fun of my friend's haircut. <laughs> that was the first rap song I, I wrote in so my you, life. So you pretty much stayed true to your subject matter since sixth grade then? Pretty much, dude. <laughs> I didn't even know I was... That was an early battle rap. I didn't even realize it. Uh-huh. Just talking shit. And then when you when you guys... Was there any, like, since you have your twin brother, um, Herbal T is also dope, you know, artist and musician and everything. Did you guys have, like, some friendly competition going on? Or was it more, like, always collaboration? Or what was kind of the not- dynamic between you two? You know, I think I think as I've learned that a common thing with identical twins, which is what we are, uh, is it's you know with with uh, with with brothers that are close to the same age or brothers that are fraternal twins. A lot of times they constantly fight, and it's a constant competition. Mm-hmm. And, and don't get me wrong, me and my brother, like I think that we're competing with each other all the time. But it was very friendly, and with when it came to making music, it was much more collaborative. Like. If we just like we discovered early that he was good at drums and I was good at guitar, so that's that's what we did. You know, mm-hmm. we would switch we would switch up to have fun, but you know that that's there was other. I think we were more competitive in other ways. Like we used to skateboard too, and we were mm-hmm. m- much more competitive with that. 
than we were with music because music is kind of inherently collaborative you know what i mean yeah for sure it's always fun to like create with someone else instead of just being by yourself creating for sure so i get that i get that and then um so you know you're you guys are middle school sixth grade seventh grade you're playing the guitar you're playing the drums you guys are dancing and stuff um what were you we still didn't, we didn't i'm probably overemphasizing the dancer we <laughs> that would like we you know i guess everybody dances we didn't take it as seriously as we did the other stuff but yeah but we sure. did do it we did definitely did it okay so then uh what <clears throat> were you guys still in high school when you started the band or was that post high school no nah, that we we kind of started this band we had i mean we had a couple little like bands that we being like you know somebody would come over and play bass and we'd be in a we'd call it give ourselves a name and now we're in a band for a week but we our friend uh fraser basically we had like a three-piece foundation this other and then i played guitar my brother played bass and this other dude played drums and me and my brother would do the vocals mm-hmm. and that's that started in like ninth grade and ended when i was like 24 so or maybe 23 or 24 so so that was seven or eight year period we were in that band starting in like ninth grade gotcha so you guys are going pretty hard with it. you were serious about it and you said you did this throughout uh school too when you or were you doing this at the university of maryland or yeah that- when i was in the university of maryland our you know, the, especially especially like at the end of it when we were really into it and we started to actually have some fans and we had albums and uh, we ended up in a house and our our house was like a, our band, but our and our it became a six piece band, but it was almost like a our band was like a miniature frat, like we we're we we're wild man, but mm-hmm. but uh yeah it was all it was the the band was everything you know what I mean yeah that was, that was our life like every Friday and Saturday we we were having a gig somewhere you know what i mean mm-hmm. and so when you guys you know had the house and you were doing gigs and you said you started touring and everything like that what was it that time where you're like oh yeah i'm gonna like we're about to make it we're about to blow up like what was kind of your thought process you know through that experience well that was that was the hope and at that at that time the internet wasn't so blatant you know what i mean this is this is t- i mean probably 99 through 0203 at that time, like you, you know, you have a your band would have like yourbandname.com, but this was before MySpace, before Facebook, before any type of th- what you would call social media. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So the only thing that the internet could really give you is is a, a website and an email list, which was the most valuable thing you could possibly have at that time was your email list. And it it kind of still is to this day. Too. Is. You're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I I neglect it myself. I need to. It, it really is, even more so now. It kind of even came back like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but um, at that time, it was much more about the live show, you know, especially especially for a band. You just played as many shows, and every time you did a show, you tried to get somebody to sign your email list, and then hopefully they come to the next show, and then you went back to that city. Instead of having 10 people, you'd have 20 people, mm-hmm. you know, and then there was always the chance that you could send out your little demo somewhere and get signed or whatever. It was much more about the record deal, you know what I mean? Either being the, either the record deal or being like a, a live you know whatever but it it gets to a certain point especially if you're all college educated college grads where once you're out of college some people are going to be like yo i can't have this nine to five and be in this band that doesn't Mm -hmm. make any money you know what i mean yeah you can't really blame people for that it's it's almost like being being successful outside of the band is what brought the band down you know what i mean yeah um and speak okay so to touch on that you said like after you guys graduate and everything and 
you were the one that kind of kept going. Like, what made you keep going when everybody else was like, I, I know you said you still had to work jobs because you got to pay bills and stuff like that. Yeah. But what made you keep going with the music and going to learn Pro Tools and stuff instead of just like saying, well, we had a good run. I'm just going to work this nine to five for the rest of my life. Yeah. Well, what, what, what happened was I was I was the, the main one that didn't want the band to stop. Mm-hmm. But once the once the band did stop, I tr- I tried to quit. I tried to I tried to be like, look, this is like in my head. And this is me in my head talking to myself. Look, you know, this is this is irrational. This doesn't make sense. You got a you got a college degree. You know, you got and I had a girlfriend. Like, let's get a job and blah. You know, trying to be, I guess, kind of what you would call the regular uh, lifestyle. And then, you know, I tried that and I tried all these things and it got to a point where. You know, I got, I think that there's just it's just something inside of you, man. Like mm-hmm. when I, I got to the certain point where I just had to give it a shot, and then after you try and try and keep going and keep going and develop some success and some success, you eventually get to a point where now all of a sudden it's actually more logical to be do music than it is to go back to doing something else. You know what I mean? Like yeah. at this at this point, I have more potential making mo- to make money doing music than I could if I tried to like go back to a job, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And I think that like when you have when you feel like you have that something in you, especially like for, you know, any creatives that are listening to this right now, it's like for me personally anyway, like I couldn't have lived with myself if I didn't at least give it a shot. Like if I didn't move to LA, I didn't know anybody but a few people and just get out there and just hustle and start meeting people like if I didn't do that, I would have regrets and that would have like killed me more than like sitting in a cubicle or, or doing whatever, you know? So, um, so the band and not everybody, not everybody quote unquote, like makes it. And that's, that, I mean, that, that's a whole nother topic is like, mm-hmm. what is making it? But you, you, you know, uh, there's just some, there's just something that can, that'll make you like, take, for example, I had a friend that was in our band. He was the percussion player in our band. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually, one day, it was really fucking sad, man. He was a good friend, and we had to kick him out the band because he just wasn't really that good. He was kind of like the weakest link in the band. And what was telling what was telling about it is after he got kicked out, he was kind of in the band as a friend, and what was telling is after he got kicked out, he never played percussion again. It's because it wasn't in him, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It wasn't in him to be a percussion player, and... You know, somebody like you or or somebody like my like my brother has a family and he works a nine to five and he's still like he's got that itch. And at night, he at night, he makes music. I keep he doesn't do it because somebody's telling him to, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I definitely think it is about just and we can, I'm probably going to ask you some questions on this in a little bit after we kind of work through the story. But I do think that, like, if you have something in you, like you kind of make it work for yourself. So it's like, even with myself, it's like, I just like to create. And I had, it took me a long time to figure out that it doesn't have to be just music. So it's like, once I picked up, you know, and you know, we're going to talk about, you know, chain reaction, all that kind of stuff as well. And your stand up. But I mean, for me, like with, I picked up photography and it's like, now my job is literally, I just take photos and shoot video all day. And it's like, I just like to create, you know what I mean? So it's not so bad to necessarily have that nine to five. If, you're doing what you like to do and I can still come home and make music and do all that other kind of stuff as well. So, um, so you're in that, let's fast forward. You're in LA now. Um, you said you went to recording school, right? Yeah. The first thing I did when I moved to LA is I took out a loan, which I fucking still owe on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took out a loan and I, I, I got myself a little studio apartment and I went to the Los Angeles recording school mm-hmm. and uh, I, I went full time and to go full time. It was like nine months. 
And, um, and you know, I, I went and I learned a lot and it was a really valuable experience. I met some people that I still kick it with the, to this day. Mm-hmm. And while I was there, like I, I recorded an album while I was there. I made tons of like YouTube videos of just like random stuff, rapping, like comedy kind of stuff, beat making kind of stuff, but just kind of like messed around and developed like a, a small, small following. Not enough yet to where I could not have a job because because once I once I quit the uh, once I mean once I finished the recording school I didn't quit I made it through I guess I have I don't know what they call the degree or whatever it's called there I have whatever that degree is called I have that too yeah but uh so for for like a year after that I still had to work I worked as a as a delivery guy at a at a, at a grocery store here in LA mm-hmm. and then eventually I got to the point where like I was barely selling enough albums, barely making enough at shows, and barely selling enough t-shirts to where I could not have to work. And then from there, it just grew and grew. And I had all kinds of crazy shit happen to me, man. I, I got a big-ass, I got a really nice record deal at Def Jam. I was signed to Def Jam for like a year. Yeah, I, so actually, before we go into to the Def Jam stuff, let's let's kind of rewind back to like, you know, 2007-ish. Because I saw that you're, you created that YouTube channel in March of 2007. So. What made you say, hey, like, YouTube is what's next? I'm going to start, like, investing time into that. Um, well, it, interestingly enough, like, uh, I, actually, I actually did a few videos even before that, uh, be, before we actually created our own YouTube channel. Like, I remember there was, you know, the thing that got me, I've told this story before. I don't know if I've told you before, but... There was a, I think it was in 2006, yeah, definitely in 2006, Vibe Magazine had a website and they did a contest mm-hmm. where uh, it was called the Vibe Versus and you f- videotaped yourself uh, rapping over the beat they provided and then they'd do a contest where everybody on their, would go to their site and vote and rate and, and stuff like that and the, the winner got like five grand or something. And uh, I didn't win. I didn't win, but a shitload of people watched my video mm-hmm. and commented on it. And I was like, "Yo!" That, and, and and it was very obvious that that this was a powerful medium. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I think I even I think I even gained some fans just from that. I think that was like let me. I think part of starting the YouTube channel was trying to parlay some of that recognition into into a fan base. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. but even at the beginning, it was it was never like I never really expected it necessarily to become as big as it even as it did it was it was always it was always kind of a, a just for fun thing mm-hmm. if, if on on the top but you know at the at the end of the day there was a potential a potential um bucket of gold at the end of the rainbow you know what i mean but uh, that's yeah that's how i started doing that <laughs> yeah that's that's interesting because i know we kind of chatted before we started recording on just different podcasts and stuff like that and um I listen to Gary V Gary V's podcast a lot and he always talks about he actually like came up on YouTube like he saw the opportunity in it like in 2006 or whatever and just started like making he does like wine he had like a wine a liquor store so he did all these wine videos or whatever and he always talks about like with social media platforms um, like when they're new like you have to do that you have to kind of go in and just grab as much land as you can and kind of like stake your claim so in retrospect, do you kind of feel when you're consistently putting out videos and stuff that you were kind of doing that in a way, even if you weren't aware of it? First of all, it's so crazy. I swear to God, every so much, so many times this has been happening to me recently. You mentioned Gary V. I heard of him for the first time this morning. Mm-hmm. 
And like, I sw- so many times recently, something happens and then somebody else mentions it like in the same day. It's weird, but uh, besides, I, I digress. <laughs> it's just some universe shit. I don't know. Some yeah, yeah. Going on right to, uh, recently to me, but, but yeah, yeah, you have to do that. And uh, an interesting thing about rapping on YouTube in 2007 was it was some fucking nerdy, dorky, like, <laughs> like how, like, what are you doing? You're a YouTube rapper. You're a geek. Like, uh-huh. you could use every syllable as a hi-hat. Rewind that and you find that. The rhyme that I just spit was perfect. Reverse it, half it, double time that. Any way you want it, fam. That's my mama, man. You can see a mic in my sonogram. I got my first tooth in the booth and I wrote my first hook in a coloring book. And back then, my rhymes was outside the lines still are phones lose reception when i kill bars i heard your shit my ears still scarred should have turned it down like opening a pill jar fuck jake we gonna wake and bake i make papes when i battle all you fakes for cake but now it's time for a station break we wildin out like that's how it was looked at back then and that's how a lot of times things are looked at in the beginning like having a podcast for example you know what i mean I mean, as early as as early as a year ago. I mean, my podcast. I have I sampled Meek Mill like making fun of podcasts. Like we don't even know what a podcast is, you know. And just like, and uh, you got when you get into early, sometimes people are gonna talk shit and make fun of you. But I was actually, I was actually really lucky to get into YouTube early because anybody trying to do it now, it's like it's like really a crabs in the barrel thing. Whereas yeah, it's like, like it's Mount Everest for sure. Exactly, and and back then it was back then it was like. You know, people people were looking for it, and there wasn't that many people to people doing it. You know, the main the main uh, and this is another big another big uh, inspiration to me and my brother back in the day was like Smack DVD. Mm-hmm. Uh, you remember those? Remember those? Uh, those like like Reed Dollars and uh, like all those dudes from Philly who like they, they'd be on the internet, but they, it's not their site. You know yeah, yeah, I mean? yeah. I remember, I remember like, those videos, those DVDs. Yep. That, the Smack DVD was a big, big uh, early online adapter, but people, people, but people on that wouldn't have they wouldn't have their own shit because that was nerdy, you know, like yeah, yeah. The camera. But now it's different, man. Yeah, it's like what's this internet shit? We don't we don't mess with the internet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, okay, so you went to recording school. You're on YouTube. You're doing your thing. You started upload videos and things like that, right? So it was actually funny because I was talking to Kareem and he was the first um, guest on on this podcast actually, and he kind of told me a little story that he didn't actually run across you. His brother found you like on Facebook, and he and he knew that like Kareem was working with me, and I was like, "Yo, you need to check this guy out." So you know, it was like 2008. I think it was like August, September. I'm working on the project, and uh, Kareem hits you up. And he's like, he told me he went to like your coffee shop show or something, and he played you this beat for like Famous's Laboratory, that song that we did with Chris okay. Young. Yeah. So, what at, what made you? Because I, I remember I was like, yo, just just write like four or five like four bar verses about whatever, and it's just gonna be it's gonna be cool or whatever. And what was kind of like your thought process when he played you that beat and like told you to just like write like four random verses? Ah. Uh, <clears throat> I remember liking the beat a lot, and I remember like thinking, like you know, this dude came to my show, like he he he's like I he's from L.A. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like people that were from L.A. He, and he seemed like he seemed like a he just seemed like an intelligent dude that knew about music industry shit. And at that time, anybody like that, I was like, uh, I, you know, I was yeah, like, yeah. 
I'll do whatever you say, man. You, you seem like <laughs> you seem like an LA dude that knows the music biz. Like, let's 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 work however possible. You know what I mean? When I step up on the track, it's like a forest fire. Make a rapper feel small, like a forest fire. Or festiva, I sparked the best reaper. Like I was in Amsterdam, chilling with the guest visa, hitting the herbal remedy, spitting at verbal enemies with the preciseness of the cat who murdered Kennedy, man. I got you ducks in my scope and every beat and uh and you know i, I maintain that he that my you know he he is still he's he's a fucking good dude still is and uh yeah i ended up i ended up writing it there wasn't too many people coming up to me at that time and asking me to work you know what i mean mm -hmm. so uh yeah and if i remember correctly i went to your place which was in koreatown at the time when we recorded that yeah it was that yeah, studio it was... apartment um in oh, koreatown yeah. off hobart and chris young was there as well yeah and, um there's actually what I'm going to do probably I'm going to do something special for this episode. Like I'm going to cut in like some of these songs that we're going to talk about in videos. Cause there's actually a video still on YouTube of you guys freestyling, um, that day. Oh, I might have to go back and watch that myself. Yeah. Uh -huh. What's my dude? What's up? Uh, my name is Wax. Oh, don't be shy now. <laughs> shit. Fucking, you know, you had the fucking views on YouTube and Yo, shit. YouTube so yeah at that point he was chris extremely young oh he was like 19 and the way i actually met him because i know you did a lot of work with dumbfounded and whatnot i was at um i did scribble jam it was a 2007 i did scribble jam and chris was act i won in the beat battle and chris was the runner-up to dumbfounded in the freestyle battle and that's wow. how that's how i met chris that's crazy so it's just it's just interesting of like LA at that time and how people were like hustling and stuff like that. Yeah, um, yeah. So still about two thousand eight, um, you know, we were doing we started working on some music together and things like that. And it's kind of funny because yesterday, you know, they got those Facebook memories that pop up or whatever. And um, I think like three years ago, two years ago, no, it was three years ago when Rosanna was popping. I had posted like an article. That was like, you know, 19 or 20 people who struggled in their 20s. And I was like, I commented, I like posted, and I was like, make that 21. And then you had actually commented, it was like, make that 22. So kind of tell me about like your 20s and like your struggles. Did you share? I got to see that. I, didn't, I don't think I saw that. I'd have to go back and find it now because it was yesterday. But uh, I, I did save the link to my to my Gmail, so I can send you the link. But um, yeah, it's funny how that works, though, man. Yeah. yeah, and it's like you know we're talking today about all this stuff. So kind of tell me about like your twenties and kind of like your struggle with the music and kind of go a little bit more in depth in some of those jobs. Like you said, you're working construction and things like that. And like, it, was there ever a time in that period where you're like, eh, I don't know about this music thing? Yeah, like I like I said when I, my when my band broke up, I think I was 24, and I tr I tried to give up on it. I I really tried. I had a girl. I loved her. I thought that was gonna be the thing. Uh, I remember I remember um, I remember and while I was in the band, you know, you had to work. You had to work to make money. My band we had first of all we had six people when we get a hundred bucks for a show that we had to get gas. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you yeah, just, yeah. You have to have a job, so. I worked at. I remember I was a. I was a waiter at Chevy's for a little bit. Uh, I, I was an administrative assistant in D.C. at a, at a company for a while. Um, I, I did hotel tech support software. So like every Holiday Inn 
and my brother got me this job. Every Holiday Inn in America works for, under the same like software to like check people in and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I worked at the company where I became like an expert at that software, and I worked in a call center. Uh, it was like ten bucks an hour or something like that. All these at, th- at that time that was kind of like a standard starting level for a, a college graduate type of job. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Ten ten back in the day used to be like, oh shit, I'm making ten an hour. I'm making like double digits. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. When you're because in high school, you know, I worked at McDonald's and shit. That was what I was used to. Mm-hmm. But uh, I remember the last my the funniest job I had was the last job before I moved to the West Coast. I worked at a mortgage loan company because I had a homie who was selling. He he was basically getting people to refinance their house. You know. Yeah. And this dude was making like forty thousand dollars a month doing this. And it's funny to me looking back at it because this company was so criminal and so unethical. And it's <laughs> if you've seen that movie, uh, that movie, The Big Short. Did you see that? Yeah. You know the you know those dudes in Florida who was ripping everybody off. Yeah, yeah. That was my company. That was my company. There was fist fights in the office. Like Damn. everybody was trying to flex. Everybody was trying to buy watches and shit. And like, and it was just it was super unethical and. Uh, I wasn't that good at it anyway. I've never been a good salesman, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But um, so that was the last. I, I had to quit that, and then, then you know, we had the opportunity to move to San Diego. And when I was in San Diego, I worked construction. And um, and I, I, that's another thing. Like, it, I actually didn't mind working construction. The cool thing about working construction is you don't have to watch your mouth. You can kind of, like, bullshit and talk about girls and whatnot, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? I'm not that good at construction, man. I'm not a handyman. I, I fuck things up. I'm not, you know. And the, that during that whole time, I, during that whole time, I was, and you know, I, I had re, reconnected with my brother. We actually recorded an album. There's a, another album I made in 2006 called Wax and Herbal Tea Grizzly Season. Mm-hmm. That uh, that was something I was doing half while I was working at the <laughs> at the fucking. Half while I was working at the mortgage company on the Maryland, and the second half while I after I moved to San Diego and was working construction. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, after a while, like working construction, it's just like, where am I going to go from here? You know what yeah. I mean? At that time, I was probably like, you know, I'm, I'm I didn't I got a record deal when I when I was like 31 or something. You know, like I didn't I, I'm, I was always older. Like even when I first moved here and started talking music biz, people were like you 28, damn, like like they thought that was old. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, and that's kind of interesting because I always look at um, I look at the clips. I think Malice was like thirty one and Pusher was like twenty nine when uh, Lord Willen came out. You exactly, I mean? they're a good example. Also, I mean, I know he was signed earlier, but uh, Two Chains didn't pop till he was thirty seven. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he had the old like Player oh. Circle stuff and the stuff on the Ludacris albums, but like he wasn't like what he is now. You know, until what five years ago, four years ago. Yeah, and he was 37 when he started to blow up his two chains, and uh, that's. I think that just goes to show you, like, it's it's. I mean, at a certain point in the rap and music world, it might be too late. At a certain point, you know mm-hmm. what I mean. But if you're making stuff people like, and it, you, you, take for example, Rick, Rick Ross could be 60. We, nobody gives a fuck. You know what I mean? <laughs> like he yeah, he's yeah. a he's a persona. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. So and, uh, let let me ask you. Uh, Cause I, I've I've kind of been thinking a lot back on like my path and like those bullshit jobs I've had and at the time I'm like why am like I don't need to be doing this right but I look back and I'm like I, I've learned something from them so was there stuff that you learned in those jobs that like at the time mean nothing but now you look back and be like yeah I learned something from that 
I think absolutely, definitely, man. Like, first, first of all, the main as an as an artist, I think the main thing you can learn from having jobs that you don't like is is like that pushes you. Mm-hmm. you like, like, yeah, you, you're inspired by the love of it, but you're also inspired by the hate of that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I don't, I don't want to go back to a job like that again. I think, I think that I'm lucky enough at this point where if I did have to get a regular job. I could parlay myself like you did into something this creative. Like maybe I could write for a TV show out here or something like that. Mm-hmm. But so I'm in good. I'm in a good position as far as that goes. But like ha- when people say they hate their regular job and it drains them of all their energy, I understand that completely. You get home and you don't want to do anything. But at the same time, that's what kind of makes you be like, you know what? I got I got to work on this song. I got to make this video. I got to make this shit extra dope so I can get the fuck out of this job. Yeah. You know yes. I mean? Plus and plus, you know. Having having to work hard for something is, I mean, you can't be. You, that's just something you you got to learn. You know what I mean? I, I I learned. I mean, I when I was a kid, like, you know, when I when I I guess when I where I uh, the earliest you could work at McDonald's was sixteen. As soon as I six t- turned sixteen, I got I applied. You know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. how else how else was I going to get some money? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, and that's the thing too. And it's like I've it's it's kind of like a common thread that um that everybody I've been talking to has been saying, it's like, you just have to, you got to learn how to work hard. And I think as the technology increases and, you know, our generation gets older as another generation coming, I think for each generation, it's almost like hard, harder to learn how to work hard. Cause I mean, I, it took me a while to like figure it out. I was like, okay, like I got to do this shit every day. And I got to put in time every day to get better at it before anything's going to happen because nobody's just going to hand it to you. So I think those jobs that you don't want to do and then coming home and you're tired, but still putting that, you know, two, three, four hours in, it's going to teach you to work hard and it's going to get you to where you're trying to go. So, yeah, and, and that, that, two, that two to four hours you put in for your passion that you're not getting a dime for, mm-hmm. that like if you keep, 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 keep doing it, you get paid for that later. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because if you get, if you like, say for example, you get something like a hit song, like yeah, it only took you a day or two to make that hit song. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. it didn't really. It, it took really you all seven money. or ten years. The to... that you really made minimum wage to make that hit song. You exactly. Know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> so, um, so here we are. It's 2008. Um, you know, we've by this time we've done Famous's Laboratory. I know we did um, Mary by now, and, oh, had, and that was on that mixtape on my mixtape. I mean, and then um, I remember I moved back to Georgia, so I moved back to Georgia in 2009, and you started getting you know a lot of YouTube videos started kind of blowing up, and you started getting you know hundreds of thousands of plays and stuff like that. So what? Tell us kind of about the time when like major labels started sniffing around and what that process was like. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it just just like you said, um, I put I put out a project with with my real good friend producer EOM, and that was like the album that I was working with, and I was making some videos for some of the songs, like music videos. I I developed a, a, a relationship with a bunch of people out here. Like we, we kind of formed a crew called Intense Imagination, where we just would make videos. You know, I got I got pretty good with making these videos. Yeah, they're all great. Yep. And. uh and then some of them were just like a, a little handy cam, because at that time you know you had to have a, you had to have a camera. You couldn't use your phone or it'd be too fucked up. Like phone, phone. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That shit's that shit's come a long way, but uh, but you know, it just just 
just like a lot of the stuff I got notes for the most was just like straight up bars type of stuff, like mm-hmm. clever, clever punchlines and stuff like that. And I had one video I was rapping in my car, a new crack that got really popular. And, uh, and then over time, like, you know, the, the, this was, this was one major, major record labels were really just getting, you know, they were, they were a couple of years late on YouTube. And then by the time they started, you basically by the time the A&R people at labels started using YouTube, I already had a following. Mm-hmm. So I remember the, my first manager I had out here, you know, he hit me up. He, he hit me up in the weirdest way. He had, he hit me up through by messaging EOM's MySpace. And uh, he was like, he asked, he's like, how can I get in touch with Wax? And I'm, and I'm and like, when I saw that, I was like, dog, this guy works at Interscope. And like, he doesn't know. And like, I have every video has like Twitter. Yeah, he, yeah. Like, <laughs> like, how do you not know? It was just random, but uh, but you know, he, I went to the first meeting and like, you know, I'm from a small town, man. I thought to have to have a meeting in Interscope, you had to get past like armed guards and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But it turns out you just walk into some building in Santa Monica, and it was, I was real impressed by it. And then he introduced me to all these people, and then, you know, slowly, your name gets kind of mentioned in the, in the industry, and it just kind of works its way around. Some people love it, and some people hate it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then you have meetings, and then I got another manager, and then for a while I had two managers, and then um, I, I, w- I would go to a lot of meetings, man, and I'd go to, I, you know, they'd book, put me with different producers and songwriters, and I, they, I, I, at that time I was trying to, I was kind of trying to get in the world of being a writer myself, you know. Mm-hmm. I realize now that's really not the path for me. I kind of got to write just my own shit. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but you know, just over the course of time. I you know you you end up some people get end up getting like the crazy meeting that gets them the deal you know and I I ended up having that in 2010 with L.A. Reid and L.A. Reid fucking loved me and mm-hmm. he he gave me a record deal with Def Jam and uh, you know it was uh, you know quick quick note for people out there that might end up getting record deals and stuff like that just be careful man just be really careful with your business because you know, I, I I ended up. Long story short, you know, I, like I said, I had two managers, and it ended up being a, this falling out between all three of us. Well, basically, the, the manager versus manager, and it was, ended up being this big dispute. And I basically spent all the money that I got from the advance on lawyers. Mm-hmm. So, just pe- people be careful, man. Just really, really get to know people, but. You know, that, that's another lesson you learn the hard way, man. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that, too, because one thing that I really stress is just, like, educate yourself. And, I mean, you obviously you can't find everything that you need to know on the Internet. But even if, you know, you hit up some people, some people will hit you back if you have a question and then they'll kind of share their knowledge as well because you really got to know, like, what's going on or you really going to play yourself. So, yeah, um, it's tough in the music business, man, because almost, almost every lesson, lesson you kind of have to learn the hard way because this shit is all based on dreams. You know, like this is like this is dream shit. Like if somebody tells you something, they're going to get you something and somebody, you know, you kind of you kind of got to You kind of got to roll with them. You can't like what are you going to say? No to a record deal regardless. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Because then it's kind of like reminds me of what you said about, you know, if you had never moved to L.A., you'd regret it. Like that's kind of how you might end up feeling if you like don't do something because you think it's not the right way to go. Like you kind of, it's, it's tough, man. Mm-hmm. It's tough, dude. So where do you think that you find that balance though? Like if some, if your gut, like maybe 
I mean, I'm not saying that was a situation for you, but what saying that you do have this great opportunity in front of you and you hear a lot of stories about stuff like this. And at the time, it's like everybody around is like, yeah, you should do this. But you kind of your gut doesn't feel right. You go against it and it ends up working out better because you went against it. Like, how do you decipher that or find that balance? First, first of all, the the shit, the deal that I did, like you have to be out of your fucking mind not to do the deal I did. Like, I mean, I I look back at it now with absolutely no regrets. It was it was a. Good deal. I mean, I, I have regrets about the way that I handled it. I have regrets, regrets about the fact that I didn't have more success. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? But, but it, it was, it was, it was a great deal, and it was, it would have been re- idiotic not to accept it. So I have no. I, I when I said that, I wasn't even referring to that specific deal. But I know mm-hmm. that there's certain deals that almost happened that. Uh, shit. For example, be- before that, I did the L.A. Reid deal. There was this smaller deal. It was actually going to be a deal where I signed to a group of producers. Mm-hmm. And luckily, my manager, uh, who you know, Brian Washington, luckily he was smart enough to really be really, really stingy on my behalf, and uh, that deal didn't work out. And like looking back at that, you know, I definitely would have signed the deal. But mm-hmm. looking back, if if it had, if they had just done like one little number change that Brian wanted, and looking back at that, thank God I didn't sign that deal. You know what I mean? Because that would have been a big mistake. But I don't know. As far as finding the balance, man. I'm the wrong dude to ask. I'm I'm not, I'm not good at business, man. Mm-hmm. I still don't I still don't understand publishing. <laughs> I still don't really get it. You know as, long, I mean? as long as that check hits your hits your uh, account every six months, you're good, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's getting a, it's not really hitting this hard now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know. I, I understand, but at the time, it was. Yeah, it was yeah, okay. yeah. Um. So let's kind of rewind to around that time because I remember you dropped. Uh, that was Scrub Life when you announced the Def Jam deal, right? Yep, yep. All right. So that was like March of 2011. And I remember you guys dropped that dispensary girl video. Yeah. And um, I remember where I was at. So I was listening. It was like on all the blogs and I was driving home and um, Kareem had hit me and he was like, yo, like put some beats together. I just talked to Wax, put some beats together, whatever, for uh, his next project. He's starting to work on his next project. Every time I see her, she gets me all so high. Yo, I had a really bad day. It was a downer. I walk into the place, open my girls behind the counter. When they buzz me in, I got my fingers crossed. I smell cushion, I hear some weird music like Sugar Ross. I'm flabbergasted when I enter the spot. Cause I seen my girl before and she was never this hot. And I know I'm gonna spend a lot of time picking weed up today. She got me singing like, So, you know, I'm sitting there listening to like watching the dispensary girl video like four times and I was like sit down to make beats and I made like I made three beats and like two of them sounded just like dispensary girl, which was like now that it, in retrospect is like whack to even like send those, you know, but it was like that's what was popping for you at the moment. But I, I had like this construction kit and I made this mariachi beat and I was just like, man, I know wax is like he has that comedic element to him and like he likes to have fun. So I just made it, you know, and I sent it yeah. to you. So like when you got those, when you got that beat, like what did you think of that Rosanna beat? I loved it instantly, man, because because uh, it was such a it was such a good like chord progression to write like a, like a, a yeah I like catchy like sing songy stuff like Dispenser Girl, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. and uh, the th- but the thing about it was the drums are hard. Mm-hmm. Drums on that 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 snare drum is the snare drum from you know and. Uh, it's it like it bangs and um and it has like that 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 like 
you know, I don't know. I, you can't see me right now, but like, like I'm, uh, 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 like if you're if like on the hi hat, like, like you can bounce, you can bounce your shoulders to it. Like there's a shoulder bounce you do that's like on the hi, on the one, two, three. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't. I, I wish you could see what I was doing, but <laughs> it has like that bounce where you can kind of. Be, you know, if you, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. What's my motherfucking name? Rosanna, freaky little mama. She be trying to fuck all day. Made it from the morning to the evening. She be still feeling. Little mama, sit that don't play. What's my motherfucking name? Rosanna, freaky little mama. She be trying to fuck all day. Made it from the morning to the evening. She be still feeling. Little mama, sit that don't play. Yo, lot of joy, lot of pleasure, lot of pain. So I was, I was into it immediately, and as soon as I remember, as soon as I got it, I started writing to it, and uh, and I had, I had my my girl at the time. It's kind of interesting. The girl I wrote that song about is really not that much of a freak, mm-hmm. but it's just like this this weekend. I was in my. I remember I was I was in my room working on a song, just writing, just writing like by myself, and she was just she was kind of living in my house at the time, and. I actually had a house house and I had a backyard and she was just drinking wine and she kept coming into the room wanting sex throughout the day mm-hmm. wine breath, you know, and, and she was, <laughs> she was like Hispanic, Slight, you know I mean? slightly tinted red teeth and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, she just, it first finally came in there two or three times and, and it just inspired this, the song. Cause I kind of like, by, by the third time I was kind of like, all right, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes like a, a woman can really, out stamina man you know what yeah I mean? yeah and it's funny because like I, I sent that to you in march and i remember like i didn't think nothing about it because like i didn't hear back from you and um i came home one night i was out and i was just a little tipsy or whatever and i come home and i have an email and all you you had the song attached like the rough version of the song and all you said was like i think this song is a hit so like i listened to it a couple times like yeah this is pretty cool and it's different but it's like when you when you made it, like what made you think that that song was a hit? Because you know these days, like, I mean, you probably get comments on your Instagram or your you know YouTube or something. It's like, yo, I got a hit song. You check this out. So what made you think like that song was a hit? Yeah, it's funny that I sent that to you. I don't I don't remember sending that email, but I do remember sending the same email the day the, and I think the reason it took a while. I don't. I think I might not have really listened to that to those beats. Sometimes I listen to beats kind of in passing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. And like, cause I know as soon as I really listened to that beat, I started writing to it. You know what I mean? As soon as I really heard that beat. Mm-hmm. But uh, I sent the first day I finished that song, I sent that same exact email to the the radio guy at Def Jam. I was like, this is a hit, especially in Southern California. That's what that's obviously it didn't become a hit in Southern California, but that's what I thought. Which I still, is kind of crazy, right? Yeah, I still believe it could have been if if Def Jam would have pushed it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh. The reason it sounded like a hit to me it was just the melody wouldn't get out of my head, and I think the the thing about that song is it has, it has because I've seen it, you know, I've been I've, I've performed that song in places where it was a hit, and we're talking about places where they don't even speak English, yeah. You know what I mean? And there was, there's four different hooks that people sing. There's boom boom hey, there's the response to boom boom hey, which is she is untouchable, which I didn't realize. There's a lot of people in Germany that call that song the untouchable song. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? That is like, crazy. I didn't even think that that was one of the big parts. But then besides that, there's what's my motherfucking name. And then there's the hook itself. So it just has so many elements that, that are what they consider an earworm, a hooky stick in your brain part. And it's just such a child, such a fucking nursery melody. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just, I just thought... 
and it was fun, you know. Hey yo, me and her have been together for like a couple months. Mommy got that punani sweeter than peanut butter crunch. I hit it from the back like a sucker punch. Bust a nut back to the front for some uppercuts. And in the morning she be hooking me up, Papa. But heck, in my kitchen while she cooking. Yeah, it's definitely a fun song. I mean, even like my mom liked it. You know, I'm just like, what? Okay. Yeah, my mom liked it too. You know, so it's like, okay, so we did this song, whatever, and I remember it kind of started getting play on like XM radio, but at the same time, and you can kind of work out the timing if I got it confused, I remember you dropped that video talking about the Def Jam situation and how you guys was parting ways. So I, it was over like creative differences or something like that. So can you kind of elaborate like when they heard the album continue, was it like they just weren't feeling it or how did that whole thing go down? If you don't, you know, if you don't mind explaining it's a, that's a long story that I, it's hard for me to even explain. I can't, you know, looking back at that situation, I certainly put, give myself a lot of the blame. Like, cause we, cause we would go, we would go work with all these hit maker producers and just not really come out with songs that were quite to the level of hit that they wanted them to be, I guess. I mean, it's hard to tell, you know, when you don't put them out, but I will say we did, we did attempt one single that didn't, didn't go too well. The song I had called two wheels, Mm-hmm. So you know, I I I'm, I don't I definitely don't fault them for what for for dropping me and all that, and uh, it just didn't work. I just you know it's it's hard because unless you unless you go in with a big ass fan base like the way Kendrick already had hundreds of thousands of fans, mm-hmm. you know Ken, Kendrick doesn't need to have a hit off. Uh, he he always does, but he didn't have to have he didn't have to have even have all right off of Timber Butterfly for it to be a huge. Yeah, because everybody's going to listen to it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The point is, for me, I needed to have a radio single, and that's what we're that's what that's what we were kind of spending a year looking for, and it got really it got really taxing to me, you know, and and I got it got really frustrating, and it got really like, you know, your your, your podcast is about creativity. Part of part of the thing about being an artist is that you have an instinct. You have an instinct mm-hmm. for what you consider dope. You have an instinct for what you consider yourself. And when you're thrown into all these places repeatedly with all these other people who are like who think they know what's best for you, who think they know who you are, and it actually it actually kind of takes that instinct away, and it, it it also makes you question who the like who the hell am I, and then it makes you kind of like well who the hell are you? You don't know who I am. People would listen to two of your songs and be like I got it. I know who this guy is, and people always pin people always pin me as like. Which is which is partially accurate. P- people would always pin me as like this like frat boy party white rapper guy. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And um, it's a lot of the stuff that I was making I wasn't into. It was really hard for me to think of stuff. My creativity was kind of being fucked up, and and you know it didn't help that I was drinking all the time. You know what I mean? And um, and yeah, it just we never we never got something that they deemed a hit. Uh, ironically, the thing that became the most successful thing I've done, I sent it to the radio guy the first day, and the day they dropped me, I released the video, and it became viral, and then I got a fucking deal, and it became a multi-platinum song in multiple European <laughs> countries. Uh, so so the, the the irony is that the song was right under everybody's nose. And I, I truly believe that if Def Jam would have pushed Rosanna, especially after the video, I, I truly believe that that could have been a hit in the United States, too. Yeah, and you said you said something that's pretty interesting about just being thrown in situations where it kind of like killed your creativity because actually after I signed my publishing deal off of Rosanna, they started sending me, my publishing company started sending me work and it was just like stuff I just wasn't into. 
And it's like, I literally got so down about it and like felt like I couldn't make music because everything I'd send them be like, no, that's not it, that's not it. Like I literally took like 10 months off of music. I didn't even open up Ableton for like 10 months. What was like, what kind of shit were they looking for? They had this uh, white girl rapper that was like 22 that just wasn't, I, was, I just can't get into this shit to be honest. So I was just like, you know stop, what? Stop saying her name. Like what's her, like, what are like the initials of her name? I forgot, man. I would even have to look it up. Uh, I mean, if I remember her name, I would even say it. So you guys were they it. were they telling you we need something like Rosanna? No, it wasn't nothing like that. It was just more of like this is kind of like this party white girl music, and it's like I don't even like white girl rappers. Right, right. So it's tough. It's tough. It's but it's t- it's tough when people do that, you know, because it's kind of like you know, like for shit. I mean, Rosanna was so strangely organic, like. There was no way, like you would have, somebody would have told you to make a mariachi beat, and then somebody would have told me to make a song about a girl that wants to fuck all the time. Like, mm-hmm. there's no way that that would come from the from the fucking corporate boardroom. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. So um, let's 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 go back to when that video dropped. So you said that was actually the day you got dropped from Jeff, Jeff Jam or Party Ways? Yeah, it was it was it was like the day that I got. Or like, or like, definitely in the same week. I remember that. I remember that Def Jam's whoever runs Def Jam's Twitter didn't know that I got dropped because they were going ape shit. Def Jam's Twitter page was like Rosanna pound Rosanna pound Rosanna pound. That's so that's another age hashtag Rosanna. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, yeah, because uh, that was crazy. Because I remember it might have been like a week before, right? And you had uh, posted. You're like, yeah, ro- video for Rosanna's coming out next week. I was like, oh shit, you know. So I didn't think much about it, but I was like, I know like all your videos, like, you know, they got, they're funny or they're like cool looking visually, you know, aesthetically pleasing, all that kind of stuff. So I remember I was in the mall and I'm just standing there in the middle of Macy's, like watching this video and I'm like, this shit is amazing. (laughs) And I didn't, you know what I mean? I watched it probably like four times and then literally, I think it was three days it like hit a million views. And then it just like a week, it was like 3 million views. And I remember that whole summer. I'm just like at the crib, like hitting refresh on YouTube a few times a day, and it'll literally be like four or five hundred thousand more views. So, what was that like for you? Because I mean, you've already had some videos that you know had hundreds of thousands, but what was it like to just see it going up by millions? Uh, it was crazy, man, and it was on. You know, just so many people were watching it, and it, it's a really interesting like that because it's kind of like a in 2011 I put that song on a mixtape. Mm-hmm. In 2012, I put out the video and it had like a life of a of, of viral life, mostly in the United States. Mm-hmm. And in 2013, it became a fucking pop pop hit. You know what I mean? Yep. So it had a whole that video, of course, had a whole nother viral life at that time. I mean, yeah, I, like I remember it went it went from like 10 million or so to like 30 million over that summer. Exactly. And then there's and then if you add up if you add up all like the the copies of the video that are there too, not just the one that's on my page, mm-hmm. there's a shitload of views on that video. But but yeah, it's, it, it was crazy, man. Like you know, it's like you even, always, even the covers, like that one duo that did the violin and piano cover. <laughs> yeah, dude, yo, there's uh, there's so many weird ones. Have you seen the one from? Um, there's a guy. There's a fucking old guy from like russia who did it like shot by shot like did the whole video i did see that one yep Mm -hmm. crazy man and um i don't understand why you would want to do that (laughs) people have time you know it's like do you want to be that guy or be like that guy i guess they wanted to be that guy in that situation (laughs) but uh so i remember uh you were out here i remember like brian had hit me up 
he started he like hit me up an email it's like yo let me get your number or whatever so we started texting and stuff and and people got just to give people a point of reference like this was the summer of blurred lines and get lucky exactly and exactly. in some countries it was above that yeah the other the other big song at the time that it was fighting with was uh remember the dude from fun and pink give me one reason remember that song mm-hmm. and does give me one reason but yeah that and get lucky and blurred lines it was that summer and it yeah. was fucking fighting with those songs and and you know germany switzerland uh, Austria. The biggest, was, Austria mm-hmm. was where it was the biggest. Austria, Austria was four weeks in a row, which was the, odd. Yeah. So you get this starts blowing up overseas and everything. So kind of tell me like about these tours and stuff. So I remember there was one picture, and I think it was like what seventy or eighty thousand people at a festival yeah. before in front of. Like, what was that like? <clears throat> it was crazy, man. It was crazy. It was it was it was cool because. You know, I think in a lot of these countries, people did, people didn't ex- people didn't expect that that I could get down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. People didn't. You know, I, I had my whole band with me, and like we we got down. We, it wasn't just some dude that had this this like Rico Suave. Like Rico Suave is what I always think of, like the one hit wonder. You know, back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I could get down. I had other songs, and we we raged, and uh, we did some real big festivals. The biggest one being Donau Inselfest in. Vienna, Austria, where we played in front of eighty thousand people, and uh, but but you know th- those were cool. But you know the most the most interesting ones because I've done a lot of shows, and uh, you know granted eighty thousand people I never done, but mm-hmm. it's actually more difficult to play in front of ten people than it is in front of eighty thousand. By yeah, because there's like a sea of people, like you can't really right. see faces and stuff. Probably yeah, the, the one guy in the front is like, "Fuck this, dude." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but the interesting gigs that we did that I've never done anything like before. We're just usually me and E, you know, E was my always my DJ for these things. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd go and do like Good Morning Germany, you know what I mean? And like yeah. we'd be 5 a.m. And like I, they'd do like a little weird interview with me. And like, I remember that one, yeah. They're different culturally and shit, you know? And everybody asking the same thing Where's Rosanna? They're just as interested in her as they are in me, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But, uh, but luckily, that's, that, that goes to show you, like, that's the difference between just a viral video and a hit song. Cause like this song's on the radio. People are dancing to it in the club. It's not, you know, on the radio in the club, you can't see the video. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Exactly. But uh, we're doing all these weird performances. I remember doing a performance where it was us and right said Fred, you know, they did I'm too sexy back mm-hmm. in the day. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, we did, we were doing, we were doing like uh, their version of like MTV spring break, you know, Yep. doing all this crazy shit. And like, all these weird little radio station events. It was, it was point being like, I've never, I've never had mainstream success in America. And at that time, like, you know, the people who recognize me in America are like, like 22 year old dudes with their hat sideways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And the people who recognized me over there were 13 year old girls at the airport. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's it crazy. Really, really interesting, man. It's really different. Yeah, but, that, that's crazy. But I mean, I know it was a very dope experience. I mean, even just for me, like producing the song, like that shit was just it was it was crazy. But yeah, I, I feel looking back at it, I feel like kind of a dick. I should have at least taken you over there once. It's all good, man. I, at that time, to be honest, I was going through so much bullshit. I was going through that divorce and stuff. Like I probably would, I would have probably just sat there in the corner and been looking yeah, at the you're wall. You're probably happy to get the checks. Yeah, I'm, I was more excited about that. So, right. um, so a few more things that we'll, then we'll wrap up, but um. You know, you're a funny guy. And I remember when I was out there in L.A. Um, back at the end of last summer, 
you show you started you're like you're gonna start doing stand-up and you started doing some shows i saw the flyers and stuff online and you also started um a web series called chain reaction as well where you just go to like different fast food restaurants and like rate the food which like we watch all of them they're like super dope but what makes you want to branch out and explore like different um creative disciplines and areas like what drives you to do that Man, I, a couple of different things. I, I think with with comedy, I think there's I think there's a, there's a relationship between these two things. Like when you know, like we were talking about earlier, like when you get a little bit older, you listen to a little bit more podcasts than you do music, and you're a little bit more into just a person talking than you are into maybe somebody singing or rapping. You know, don't get me wrong, I'm still into that shit too. Mm-hmm. But but I think that has something to do with the comedy. I I think like I I don't need everything to rhyme. You know what I mean? I just like I have thoughts, and I just I don't know. I've become a fan of stand-up comedy, and I just I just wanted to try doing it myself. And then from from a real from the perspective of a realist, you know, I'm getting older, man. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I look at like what I can do in the next few years. Maybe I can do something more effectively if I combine some music with stand-up rather than trying to play the young man's game of of you know, battle rap type of stuff. You know what I mean? Like I've, I've said, I've, I've been doing, I've been rapping about rapping for a long time and I still like it. I still like doing it, but you know, it's as a creative type of person, you just kind of want to move into some other areas. And right now the thing that's getting me going, well, actually, I, if you ask me today, today, like I'm more, I'm really like in the, in the mix of a, a musical project right now. So I'm kind of real inspired by music too, but, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. It's just kind of like what you said with with you loving to do photography. You know, you kind of like as you get older, you discover new things. Like my brother, for example, like he's like that with musical instruments. Like every every year, you ask him, he's like, "Oh, I'm I'm, I'm playing the harmonica." And then next year, like he had, he went through a time where he was scratching, you know, like a DJ. You know, like mm-hmm. it's it's you know, I'm, I've never been the type of person to master something you know i always kind of like move on to the next i mean or maybe i mastered rapping maybe that but mm-hmm. and do you find that like branching out in those to those different creative areas helps you be more creative musically yeah yeah i just did a uh i just did a uh you know team backpack uh sounds familiar well they're like a, they're like a group online and they put together like video ciphers and whatnot and I just did I just like did this rap verse for them when they filmed it and you know the the first line that I say is something that that, that I made up because it, it's all based on a, a comedy bit that I have you know what I mean so mm-hmm. so yeah I, I write I'm, I, I write I write comedy that becomes rap and vice versa all the time and uh, yeah. it can it can go hand in hand you know and it's all like. It's all just meant to, meant to, I don't know where it comes, I don't know the idea of being on the stage and wanting everybody to stare at you and be like, oh, this guy's great. I don't know where that comes from, but mm-hmm. but it's still there, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and kind of give the listeners a little, um, like a backstory of um, the chain reaction. Like what was, like why did you want to do that out of all things? I think it's a pretty dope idea. I mean, because you know, like food, Obviously, like food um, channels are big these days and have been for a while now. And people going to different restaurants and cooking, and you know Anthony Bourdain and people like that. So you go to like, well, I, like Dunkin' Donuts, and you eat a whole box of donuts and drink coffee hey. and stuff. So like, what what made you want to like do that? Because I think it's like amazing, but Thanks, it's just man. it's just cool to see. You know what I mean? You know, it's, it has a, it has a it has a the 
the reason I started doing chain reaction is a really random reason. Uh, I got a homie out here named Yev, and he was he was looking for a job. He was he was applying to this job of being a video editor. Mm-hmm. And he he needed a recent example of his work, and he called me up. He's like, "Dude, let's shoot something." And I was like, "Like, what do you mean, shoot something?" He's like, "Let's. I just need to put something together." I was like, and then it's right down the spot. I was I was like, "Yo, let's go to let's go to Den." The first one we did was Denny's. I was like, "Let's go do a, a review of Denny's." Mm-hmm. And then like and then that's where that's where it evolved from. We got the you know we thought of chain reaction, and by the time we got to like the second season, we kind of had the whole format down. And the, mm-hmm. basically basically the format is like. You know, it's called Chain Reaction because it's a food review show of only chain restaurants. So at this point, we've done like probably like eighteen of them or something. I got some that I haven't released yet. Probably save them for the next season. But but yo, Reggie, the problem with Chain Reaction that I don't think I've mentioned to you yet is uh, it can't be on television, man. I tried to I tried to like send it to some people to try mm-hmm. to get it on television, but how does television make money? Advertising, yeah, and fucking all those restaurants are owned by Coke and Pepsi, and like you can't diss Domino's and expect yeah, yeah. Domino's to, you know. So that's like the tragic flaw of the show. It kind of has to just be a web series, you know. Yeah, but I think it's still cool and creative nonetheless, for sure. And I, and I think it's cool too. So and I, you I, took an idea and you executed it, you know. And I think that's like the important thing, especially like for creators, because you have. It doesn't matter necessarily where it goes because you're going to learn from it. You're going to get better at your craft. But it's like if you take that idea and you actually execute on it, that's going to kind of give you the motivation and the momentum to execute on the next idea. I agree 100%. Um, so a couple more things. Um, you kind of alluded to it earlier and talked about it, but I'm going to just kind of ask you in a more direct way, right? So what is like your definition of success and was there like a time along the way where you had to like redefine it for yourself because like for me personally it's like the mid early mid 2000s it was like pharrell timbaland pharrell timbaland and it's like not everybody's gonna be a pharrell or a timbaland so like how did you have to like redefine success and be comfortable in like what you accomplish and and things like that that's really interesting um i i always i always even i used to say this in class when i uh when when they, we would get asked about this when I went to that recording school that was in 2007 I used to always say success for me is is being able to make a living doing music you know mm-hmm. that was to be able to make a living but the fucked up thing about success is once you get to that level it's like especially especially if you have people around you especially if you get a record deal and you have high expectations like you can't just have that anymore mm-hmm. you know what I mean you better find a new definition you know what I mean now even though you didn't want to be Jay-Z slash Eminem slash Lil Wayne, you know, now you got to try to be that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so it's difficult. And, and, and at a point, like, you know, I did, I did want to be like that. I did want to be, you know, rich and famous for, for sure. But I think looking back at it, I think my initial, my initial thing on success was probably better for me. And I, li- I like to go to the grocery store and, and, and be able to be, have my privacy and shit like that. Um, yeah. And it's kind of crazy because I remember, um, I guess probably about eight months before I moved to LA, I mean, moved back to Georgia, like me and Kareem and, um, I, I think you remember Drew cause we had, he had recorded at my cypher video when we were working on a song in my apartment. I do remember him. Yeah. Yeah. So we were at the echo plex. It was like two or three days after Christmas. And like, I'm just like standing in the crowd. Cause it's like, we were like really hustling. We had just got back from Brazil. Like we were really like <clears throat> moving around the city and stuff. And, um, like I'm just standing there watching the show, 
And these girls come up to me, like, this one girl comes to me, it's like, are you nobody famous? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, can we take a picture? And it's like, you know, and I was like, oh, I don't know if I even like this. And it's yeah. just, you know, it's kind of weird, you know? So I do like the fact, because even like my name, nobody famous, it's like, just listen to the music. I don't care if you know who I am, you know? So it is kind of, you do have to kind of define what you want and what you're comfortable with, you know what I mean? So like you said, going to the grocery store, and just being alone, you know what I mean? And just enjoy, enjoying the shopping experience, whatever the hell you're doing. Yeah. It's like, you don't want to deal with all that extra stuff. Cause I feel like it can be a burden and a big responsibility to carry if you are on that level. Absolutely. But it feels good when people recognize you too. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not at the level where I want to be, but I know what, I know where the level is too much. I've, 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 I've met some famous people. I've hung out with some famous people. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I've seen the shit that they deal with, but the thing is, you know, you, you know, you kind of like some people love some people love it, and then some people make do with it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like uh, Dave Chappelle, I've, I've hung out. I have a mutual friend that's like good friends with Dave Dave Chappelle. I've hung out with him a few times, and it, imagine being him. Yeah. Like really imagine like trying to go do regular people shit as him. You know what I mean? But at least, at least for him, he has so much fucking integrity that mm-hmm. everybody loves him. You know what I mean? Everybody loves him and respects him. So, like, you know, it's kind of the price you pay to be kind of like a legend. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think, I think at this top point in his life, I think he just accepts it and I think he he runs with it and plays with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so, final question. Um, you know, I'm real big on like a growth mindset, getting better as a person, getting better as, at my craft, things like that. So what are some things that you do like on a daily, weekly, yearly basis that to like move your career and just personal life forward? Well, that's a tough one, man. I, you know, I kind of beat myself up over not doing it more, you know, like I, I wish I did little things more, you know, like the, like I wish I spent 20 minutes, like just playing, like getting better at guitar every day, you know, but at this at this point, what I, do, what I do the most is just is just sit down with a blank page and write. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, think of, think of words that rhyme or think of jokes. Um, I try to I, I'm try I try to you know as I get older, I try to just make sure that I listen to music. You know, just make sure to still be a fan, which is tough to do sometimes. You get so involved in your own stuff mm-hmm. that you forget that other stuff inspires you. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's true, that's true for like movies and shit too. You know. Like you so sometimes you get so bugged out by like yo I can't spend two hours doing something else I got to work like when in reality if you spent two hours doing something else your work would take less time and you'd be inspired to write about something plus plus you know that so I had a, I broke up with my girlfriend a couple of months back and I've, been, I've I've actually like thought to myself like I'm gonna be a single dude man I'm gonna like I'm gonna pursue women and put time and effort into it which is not something I've always been like that you know what I mean yeah. And uh, there's nothing. There's nothing that'll give you more inspiration than that. You know what I mean? Definitely. There's nothing that will give you more inspiration than just living life and doing relationships and dates and shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I've been there. I, I know the. I know the uh, routine and and the whole process for sure. Um, so yeah, man, I definitely appreciate you coming on to the podcast. I feel that everybody listening is going to get a lot out of it. I've learned a lot. Just about kind of like your thought process and kind of what you were thinking through, you know, the last four or five years, because it's been an interesting, you know, time with Rosanna and everything like that. But tell the listeners where they can find you at, you know, online and things like that. 
Sure. Uh, my, my main website is wax.com.com. That's W-A-X-D-O-T-C-O-M dot C-O-M. My Twitter and my Instagram is B-I-G-W-A-X. That's Big Wax. My Facebook is facebook.com slash wax.com, W-A-X-D-O-T-C-O-M. Um, go to you, if you, if you never seen, if you never heard of me before, the best thing to do is go to YouTube and just type in the search bar wax rapper and you'll find a bunch of stuff that I've done over the years and, um, stay tuned. I got, I'm going to have something new coming out real, real soon. I'm almost done a new project. So, uh, yeah, that's about it. And thank, dude, thanks for having me, man. This is, this is a, this is a really good podcast. I can't wait till it comes out. Like, a lot of podcasts I've been on, I'm like, I, I don't even really, I'm not, I'm not even trying to really promote, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. But this is a good one, man. Like, well, I appreciate it, man. I've been, you know, just studying people and trying to really add like value to the community and stuff like that. So there's like a lot of music producers and like artists that listen to it, but I'm not just trying to reach them, but also, you know, the photographers, the designers and everybody like that. So, um, you know, I definitely appreciate you coming on sharing your story and your journey and your hustle and your grind. I think it's going to be really dope. So I appreciate that. That's what's up. I appreciate it, man. All right. So this is the Creative Masters Podcast with Wax. This is Nobody Famous signing off. See y'all next week. Peace. All right. So there you have it. That was episode six of the Creative Masters Podcast featuring Wax. As usual, please rate us, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Follow us at Creative Masters Podcast on Instagram. And you can find me at Nobody Famous on Instagram and Twitter. And don't forget Machine Masters at Machine Masters on Instagram and Twitter. Until next week, peace. Harassing her for the clothes that her mom supplied. The first couple times they did it, she cried. After a while, she would take it in stride. Walking down the hall between classes, she let it all slide. Swallowing her pride to the point that it was fully eaten. After school, getting bullied and beaten. But to her mom, she made none of it known. She figured that her mother already had enough problems of her own. She came home one day to a new face. A man in her living room unpacking a suitcase her mom said he's gonna stay with us for a while at the news mary cracked a smile she figured he'd be like a dad or maybe an older brother he can stay as long as he wants she told her mother and at first it was kind of nice everybody got along for the most part just a couple minor fights but as the months went on it got worse if he didn't get his way he would scream and curse mary never knew this was how a father behaved it was less father and daughter and more master and slave all the money mom saved he would blow getting bent he broke open her piggy bank stole every cent he would come home drunk and snort lines in the living room openly some nights he lost control totally he grabbed her mom by the neck and ice grill her and tell her that if she ever left him he would kill her and mary would listen all alone in her room shaking too much for her little girl to take him but the worst of it all was yet to come the new habit he developed was a devilish one she didn't know what he was doing but she knew it wasn't right when he came into a room in the middle of the night, man. She started keeping something in her nightstand, something she had found in the kitchen by the frying pan. She was in a new mental state, ready to release all of the anger and pen of hate. And she swore when he came to her door, she wouldn't take it lying down like she had before. She kept the knife in the drawer with the handle sticking out. Next time he came in, she chickened out. So she decided she would hide it in a place much closer, somewhere she could grab it as soon as he approached her. Put it under her pillow and she was ready Next time he came in she wielded it like a machete You could tell by the way that she swung that she had practiced Shadow stabbing in the mirror for the past six weeks Her confidence level had peaked The first slice to the dick Then she stabbed him in the cheek And she didn't stop stabbing even when he